Hey there, my name's Mark McCartney and I'm the host of the What is a Good Life podcast. For those of you that followed the newsletter last year, for which I interviewed 120 people around this question, the objective remains very much the same. I'm trying to provide you with tools and content that help you reflect on your own life and that ultimately help you find your own answer to this question. While I'm also trying to share what I perceive to be genuine expressions of the human experience. In episode four, we're joined by Jindy Mann. Jindy and I are both sharing our journeys of working with therapists. Jindy is a co-founder of Leader Brother Son, an organization that works with both individuals and organizations, with the goal of helping men to be better and happier colleagues, fathers, partners, friends, and leaders, brothers, sons, and so forth. Ultimately, they achieve this through having more vulnerable, open, and honest conversations with men around topics that men don't typically talk about, all of which represents a significant departure from Jindy's past lives in management consultancy and banking. Jindy is also a very good mate of mine, And we thought it would just be good to have a conversation where two men talk openly about their experiences with therapy, not only from the point of view of reducing stigma, but also just giving people more insight into what the experience of therapy is actually like, how it works, what you might expect from it, and and also just to show that it's a perfectly normal topic of conversation. In this podcast, we share what was happening in our lives that led us to seek therapy, what moments instigated the process, what we wanted to explore and heal, what surprised us about the process, and what lasting changes and benefits we took from our experiences with therapy. So without further ado, the fourth episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. I, I was just trying to make it awkward, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know how to relax a guest. Jindy, <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining me today. Very grateful to have you here. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, thank you. Really good, yeah. Refreshed from a, from a long break. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And you know the reason why we're here today, Jindy, yes? I do. I know, I know it well. <laughs> and how do you feel about sharing your, your experiences with therapy? Uh, oh, that's a great question. Um, I think um, I'm pretty comfortable with it these days. Um, well, probably since I started having therapy, um, but then that's part of the process itself. So I feel not, I, not just comfortable, I think it's... Um, quite helpful and valuable to uh, to talk about uh, things like therapy quite openly. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's, uh, it's curious how something so shockingly, uh, like such a horrible, shocking notion uh, is actually something that, that feels relatively comfortable at this stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It go, it's... It's actually, in some ways, quite mundane. Uh, yeah, one of those things that w- there's a taboo around talking around. Um, yeah. So if I begin, Jindy, with the question of what is it that was occurring in your life that you felt the need to go see a, a therapist for the first time? Mm. Um, so I think um, it was what was occurring and had occurred in my life that, that led me to therapy and I, at that point I um, so this was I, I started having therapy about I think it was about three years ago and I had been on a journey um, of I guess you'd describe it as deepening my self-awareness for about 15 years I started working with a coach about 15 years ago um, and that journey had taken me in different directions and uh, deep places and it continued to evolve. And I'd also reached a point in my life, at that point I was um, 42 and I think, I think the age is quite relevant because I've you know, um, had a certain distance from certain parts of my life and accumulated a certain amount of life experience. So I was starting, starting to sort of piece things together but in quite an unskilled uh, way. And I'd also started my journey of starting my coaching practice and having my coaching training. And in going through that, inevitably, uh, when you go through any training like that, you learn a lot more about yourself and you go to uh, aspects of yourself that uh, in a deeper way than you have before, even if you know something about them. And so I came out at the end of that process of, you know, uh, this long period of these years of self-discovery, um, doing all sorts of different things and then doing my coach training and then realizing there are these corners of myself that I hadn't looked in and that if I was going to be effective in, um, in coaching and continuing to do the sort of work that I do, then I needed to look in these corners. Uh, so it became just blindingly obvious to me that I needed um, some support with that. 
and so um therapy was was actually quite a simple and easy decision to make at that point but two years three years maybe five years prior to that it would have been i thought about it over those years and tried it once i had one session maybe seven years prior to that and couldn't bring myself to fully commit to it um but at that point it felt uh i felt ready and it felt essential as well and can you tell me then uh because we talked about this before and and i was uh I thought I assumed when you first went to see a therapist who was a similar age that I was, but I, I realized that was a, a coaching uh, relationship that you had where you did explore different things around emotions. Um, what kind of dis- di- uh, distinction were you making where uh, a therapist was required as, to, as opposed to other interventions that you had, uh, you had tried before? Yeah, I think um, when I started working, working with my coach, I was, uh, I was about 30 and um i was basically feeling kind of lost or confused about my direction in life and so uh i came up against all this stuff like my own fears and anxieties my own sense of identity um and and kind of underneath all of that was this um real resistance and kind of fear of connecting with my emotions and so she just started to open things help me open things up a little bit and help me recognize some of these resistances and fears and anxieties that are around in, in trying to make this quite practical change about what am I going to do next with my career and other aspects of my life. Um, and that was a long unfolding process. Um, but it, uh, as good coaching always does, and she's a fantastic coach, it just opened things up that eventually become these big cracks. But what I was looking for at that point was very different to what I was looking for when um, I started thinking seriously about therapy. And I think what I was looking for, uh, the point I was uh, looking to work with a therapist was a really intentional making sense of my past, particularly my childhood and my family, which... Oh, lovely stuff. Yeah, (laughs) all all the good stuff, right? All the good stuff. And and as I said, I've been doing that in quite a sort of unskilled or sort of private way for a few years. And I I realized I needed some some help with that, some some support with that. And that is stuff that, yeah, your reaction is exactly the right one. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, the basement, as I call it. Let's go in the basement and have a look. Um. And so, yeah, that was, that was a difference. It was very intentionally going back to these parts of my life that I hadn't really examined properly and needed some help in looking at and um, trying to make sense of them. Yeah. And was there something happening in your life at that point where, I don't know, like was there a friction point or a pain point that was, uh, that was instigating this uh, or, you know, that was heightening the, the need for it? Um, well, there was that, that general realization that I mentioned that this was a place I needed to go to, but actually you've just, tri- you just triggered a memory. I, um, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's, um, I, I was, uh, I was dating a woman and she, uh, had done a lot of work as a counselor and she had, uh, she had extraordinary levels of intuition, um, and it, re- it became apparent to me that we were going to be friends rather than, oh, that was the way I felt. And uh, so we started sort of gravitating towards friendship and, and we both sort of realized that's what it was going to be. But in, through that period of, through that process of kind of realization, uh, there was a moment where she said to me, she said that this, you seem to be carrying something and the word that comes to mind is grief. There's a sense of heaviness about you. And I had told her very little about my childhood, my family history, hardly anything, in fact. And that landed with me. Like, I felt it in my body so heavily. It was like, oof, someone has seen me and seen straight through me. And at that point, it was, I remember that moment vividly. It was like, it is unavoidable to me that um, it's unavoidable that I don't explore this. And therapy was, was the obvious answer to that. I, I guess then that's a, a shared experience we have in in what uh, in what triggered the initial requirement. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was yours? 
a couple of things that like it was also related to a relationship but um all through my 20s i would say i had highly dysfunctional relationships um and a lot of it down to me um probably <laughs> yeah probably most of it we can say um then a, a an ex of mine we we're having a I I think a lot of like in in this circumstance, uh, an ex of mine kind of couldn't reconcile that I seemed like such a nice guy that I was quite caring most of the time. And then like at times I was just completely irrational, jealous, and then a bit like I could be like mean, um, like I had a temper, like it it just seemed like not not quite Jekyll and Hyde, if you know what I mean, because, you know, I'm you know me like i i'm not afraid of a bit of confrontation so i'm not saying i've i like there's a completely mellow side of me and and this and there's nothing in between if you get me uh, but i remember after trying to make sense of of trying to make sense of my behavior instead of um instead of simply calling me an asshole which would have been warranted and i think that was usually the response that i got uh, the question came forth do you even know why you're doing this and it was kind of funny, man. Uh, I would pride myself on winning almost any argument from almost like an unassailable position and then almost convince the other, like I could be manipulative enough that I'd almost convince the other person that they were wrong. Like that was my mechanism for trying mm-hmm. to weasel my way out of things. But when I was just given the question, do you even know why you're doing this? I was completely floored. You know, <laughs> you know like I had... uh <laughs> Like, and just like a bit like you and your experience, like, it's not that in your experience, like a truthful observation was made. Um, in my experience, it was a question which didn't allow me, um, it didn't erect my usual defenses insofar as if it came in a, you know, if that was leveled at me with a, like a punch of you're a dickhead, you're an arse, whatever, mm. then I'd probably have battered it off. But because it wasn't accompanied with one of those things, I, I kind of had to just bear the brunt of it. Mm. And then like you, in, in that uh, in that relationship, um, the writing was on the wall by the time I went to therapy anyway. Um, and even becoming more friends before the thing ended as well. Uh, but then, you know, carrying on, carrying on the process thereafter. Yeah. Uh, there's something in that um question she asks you it's like that experience of hearing something that cuts through that is so carries such weight and truth that you can't avoid it yeah but you know as well i think um i think i was tired of carrying the load um and in a way, uh, the question kind of opened up. Um, the question opened up the pos- like the possibility to just drop some of this stuff. Mm. Um, because for me, um, I was always projecting huge confidence, like or arrogant arrogance, definitely in my twenties, right? Um, I. If I met someone in a bar, I'd be very confident in going up and chatting and talking shit and saying how wonderful I am. Uh, but then when I got into a committed relationship, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on this, you know, family stuff again, that was unre- unresolved for me. Um, as soon as I get into a relationship, I became a nervous, jealous wreck. Mm. Um, like constantly thinking that something that I was going to be betrayed. Um, and then if I ever heard from somebody, um, Oh, I I really find your confidence attractive or something. Then I was just like, oh fuck, I, I, you know, I have to keep this up now the whole time, you know. Um, so yeah, like for me, it was. Uh, I think it was just I was. Someone asked me a question as opposed to attacking me, um, even justifiably so in a lot of the other situations when someone would have re- retaliated more so than attacked me. Um, mm. But I knew that my my way of approaching relationships was just completely unsustainable if I ever wanted to be in a, in a steady, loving, consistent relationship. Mm. And how old were you when that happens? Uh, 31 or 32. Yeah. So, 
at this point in my life, it was different from yours. Um, I hadn't uh, explored anything with uh, coaching. Like I, I'd always read some books, maybe the odd book on pop, you know, pop psychology here or there. Um, I'd been intrigued with, uh, maybe I'd still say I had some emotional intelligence, if you know what I mean, or I was willing to have some conversations while still very, like feeling very uncomfortable about ever admitting a vulnerability or exploring anything like that. Um, so yeah, it was, I was, I still very much in that phase, um, you know, watching sport, uh, hanging out with the lads, um, boozing away and trying to meet a woman if I was, uh, if I was single uh, or, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to find someone to be in a relationship, um, gambling, working, working out. Like that Mm. was my, my world at at the time, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. And then how did you, what happened next? How did you go about, how did you enter into therapy? Um, I had a sister and I still have a sister, um, uh, who was a clinical psychologist. And I said to her, like, I need help. Like, I, cause I still, at, at that time I said the writing was on the wall, but I still, um, I don't know, maybe I still wanted that relationship to see if there was a chance if I changed my behavior. Um, but more so like, it, it was more like a future thought like that the realization was just so clear at this point that this relationship whatever like whatever happens happens but if i stay the way i am this is just going to constantly repeat mm. Mm. yeah when when this uh when this lady <laughs> stuck her uh thrusted her fist into your solar plexus <laughs> I ripped my ripped my stomach and my heart out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was uh, what was your feeling at that point? Um. Or sorry, what were even your next steps from that point? I think would be a better question. Yeah. Uh, I think I can't remember my exact next steps, but I think it kind of. Um, as the truth often does, it, it kind of confirms something I already felt I knew, but it was like the final, you know, if there's such a thing as a messenger from the universe, it was like, it required, someone actually said it to me, you know, out loud to my face. It was like, ah, okay, right. What, what more, how many more signs do I need? So I think after that, I um, uh, started looking for a therapist and just started um, uh, the process of finding one and having a few conversations with different therapists. Um, Actually, I, I actually asked her advice because of her background in counselling, what sort of therapy might be useful for me, um, knowing that there were some different types. And she gave me some really useful guidance, which actually helped me find one. Um, and then it kind of, <clears throat> and then it went from there. It was, um, it took on an energy of its own, a life of its own, really. Um, but it had become, I, I think for me, once things become that evident, uh, they do take on a life of their own. There's no effort required anymore it's just some unavoidable thing has been surfaced and it actually takes more energy to ignore it than to do something about it yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like the, uh, so that the, was the way the it pain felt. of maintaining is now greater than the pain of uh, yeah. seeking help or exactly. speaking, speaking up yeah, yeah. In, in terms man then of uh, just how you like at, at this point like in terms of your your experience growing up and things like that, do you think that it was a case of like you couldn't speak to people about this or that it was just too messy or too painful or what was the, the need for a, a therapist beyond even, I don't know, like having a, a heart-to-heart with this lady uh, or, or whoever else may have been in your in your group at, the, at that point? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um... I think um, there was this realization by that point, the stuff I felt I needed to or wanted to deal with, um, there probably wasn't anyone else in my life who could who could hold that for me or uh, hold it with any skill. So 
my brother was one person I'd have conversations with this about and kind of some of the stuff, some of the things I wanted to explore around childhood and family. But we were both just sort of, you know, fumbling around in the dark a little bit and, and making sense of it. And it did actually, I'm being perhaps a little bit unkind. I think that actually took, took me a long way in, you know, talking about this with someone who understood it instinctively. Um, but what I needed was someone completely uh, independent and skilled uh, who I could just really unleash, uh, you know, the, the, the most difficult stuff to, and, and they would hold it and help me make sense of it. Um, and that's, for, for me anyway, I don't have any friends uh, or other people in my life who could do that. I've got plenty of great friends, great listeners. We're very open about things. But this was really going into the corners of uh, the most difficult things, most challenging and most complicated things that have happened to me in my life. Um, and, uh, and that, for me, felt like I needed someone with a bit of, bit of skill and a bit of experience in making sense of that. How did you manage to keep it between the ditches, so we, shall we say, uh, up until this point? Keep it between the ditches. Like in terms of like you have this uh, stuff that you're saying is almost like it was heavy, it was messy, um, but you've still you still managed to get to the age of 42 where you still kind of, you know, you had a good job, you had some friends in your life. Um, sorry, double scratch there. <laughs> you had uh, some friends in your life. You, you know, like life on the outside wasn't uh, falling apart, I'm assuming. You were even with this uh, lady who is who you said was quite a compassionate soul. Mm. Um, so it's not like everything on the, the outside was a mess or something like that, right? Yeah, completely. Completely opposite, actually. I'd say my life at that point was in a very, very good place. And that perhaps that's part of the reason I felt ready. I felt like I was coming from a a platform of um, feeling quite secure, uh, quite solid. I, I had a much better sense of who I was versus when I was 30 or 25. Uh, and um, much more ready to, to, to kind of open up about those things. My 20s were a lot of fun for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, like booze and partying and you know all those things. But actually, if when I'm looking back now from this perspective, from from this place, also riddled with um, anxiety and uh, confidence that I was masking with a lack of confidence, that I was masking with arrogance, and I built this kind of edifice of stuff that made me look and feel good. And some of it was useful and real, and some of it was just a facade. It was just a, a variety of masks, and that included, to some extent, my career. And so. Um, uh, I'd kind of gone from that place to a place of feeling quite good about myself, um, but realizing there was work to be done. And so I think I think the stuff I needed to work on was now what was left. Um, I could have avoided it. I could have got, I could have carried on going, and I think many people do just carry on. So there's no need to sort of open those doors. Um, but for me, I'd been on a journey and was st I'm still on a journey that it's, it's never ending. So there's always something to find out. Uh, and there is a danger there. I was having a conversation with um, a, uh, someone who's a, a mentor and a supervisor to me recently, and he didn't use these words, but there is a danger for me, I think, or a risk that I sometimes enjoy doing this work a bit too much. And we've talked about this, you know, our, our proclivity for, for suffering and and, and digging into the really, uh, the really dark and difficult stuff. Um, but there is also something really valuable about it and important about it. Um, and, and it's taken on added resonance now because uh, I'm going to be a father in four months. Um, and that for me is even more reason to understand myself and what I might pass on uh, yeah, yeah. unwittingly and how I might, you know, how I might be a father in ways that I don't want to be necessarily or patterns that I might continue and all of those things. So uh, as well as my work, there's a, there's a very personal reason for, um, for, for making sense of myself. And so how did your, uh, how did your therapy journey begin? <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. Cause you know that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know how this story starts. Um, <clears throat> so I, um, one spring sunny day. <laughs> one spring sunny day. It was a spring sunny day. As all good stories begin, 
uh, I had um, found a few therapists and um, this was the f uh, first one I was going to speak to, to have a conversation with. So it was meant to be like a 20 minute sort of chemistry. Let's see how we get on uh, situation. And um, for some reason, I thought I'd, I'd do this call while I was walking through my local park um, on this lovely hot spring day. And um, I was also at that time uh, re uh, recently started uh, uh, microdosing with uh, psilocybin, um, which, as you know, kind of um, one of the effects of psilocybin is it, it opens you up. It kind of um, just releases some of the ego barriers. So I was in quite a sort of open, uh, open space, which is probably uh, actually helpful. Um, and so we started this call as I was walking through the park and this 20 minute call became a, a one hour over one hour call um, because she simply asked me like the question she asked was something like, so why are we talking or, or what brought you, right. what brought you to this conversation? And oh, man. It's, I then it's just, amazing how something so simple could it, it's, open it, the floodgates. Yeah, completely. It's, it's, it's so cliched, but also true that I've, I just started to speak for, and I spoke nonstop for about 15 minutes. Um, uh, and in that process realized there was stuff I'd wanted to say for years and just hadn't, and I was carrying it like this weight. And then this process of, um, of just like blurting this out and her listening, I, I just broke down in tears. And I was leaning against a tree in my local park and just tears just pouring off my face. And uh, it was such a wild mixture of emotions. It was um, mostly relief, I'd say. Just this sense of like a deep breath out. It's like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm burning myself with some of this. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it's amazing the... Um... It's amazing the baggage we're holding on to as we go through life if some of this stuff remains unexpressed. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I, think, uh, I forget which uh, which book it was of, of Carl Jung's, but he was almost describing a, a secret as a psychic poison. And, yeah. you know, the deeper this stuff is, and especially if you're talking about stuff from childhood, you know, the the more or the deeper it is and the more it's kind of, I don't know, it just contaminates every, like so many things that are built upon this, you know, this one, this mm. one point of pain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the more it's repressed, the more it gathers energy sitting there in your unconscious. Um, and, uh, and fucks around with your life, relationships, friendships, work, everything you do, uh, it will be yeah contaminated by that poison. So you're in the park. She simply asks you, "Why are we here?" Cue an hour-long conversation, many many tears, and where did you go from there? Um, so after that conversation, I had one session with her in person. Um, but in that period, in that intervening period, I found someone. You had, you had to at that stage after <laughs> an hour out of a free twenty-minute call. Well, <laughs> the <guilt>. well, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Maybe I felt some obligation, uh, but she also probably knew more about my life at that point than most of my friends. Um, so uh, yeah, so I had one session with her, but. Um, in the intervening, in the period between those two conversations, I uh, had one of these other sort of first conversations with someone who I instinctively felt had a much, um, I had much better chemistry with, and, and she had a, uh, a an instinctive understanding of my background as well, because she she's from an Asian background, she's British Asian, um, so as soon as we started talking, there was a sense of uh, she gets some of what I'm saying without even saying it. Um, so I ended up working with her, um, and we worked together for, uh, about a year, I'd say. And then, uh, I've recently started working with her on a more regular basis. And in between, um, 
we had check-in sessions. Uh, we had yeah conversations where I'd go back to her. So every now and again, I kind of reach out to her and say, yeah, hey, could um, I'd like to have a conversation to to work through some things to make some sense of things, and that's something we've done recently. And without going into the the very depths of it and implicating other people and everything else, but could you kind of give a, a sense of of what you were looking to explore? Yeah. Um, so I guess <clears throat> um, the short version is there was things in my um, early life, childhood, and uh, early family life that I hadn't realized the impact they'd had on me and how uh, traumatic they'd been. Um, and some of them I'd buried. And it, again, such a cliche, but it was in the process of um, working with a therapist that I, re I remembered things that were memories that I had effectively repressed uh, about my childhood. And other memories and other aspects uh, of my childhood and family life that I'd um, I, I just labelled. I'd conveniently labelled and gone, "Well, that's that," and or that happens to everyone, or that's what that's what that thing was, without having made sense of that, having really you know tested that. And it was through working with her I realised, mm, yeah, actually that's not true, and this has had an impact that's still um, uh, lasting, that's still present now, and it's showing up in different ways now so um so there was lots there i mean I, I grew up poor i grew up in an immigrant family i grew up in a family that I was carrying a lot of intergenerational trauma uh and then a family that um created its own trauma uh in a variety of different ways so there's all sorts of difficult experiences in my childhood that i had found a way to normalize which i think i think is a typical coping mechanism that oh, this sort of stuff happens to everyone or or I've left it behind now, I've moved on. I did that classic thing of thinking, oh, I've escaped my childhood because I've left home now and I'm now an adult. But actually, you know, some of those experiences stay with you uh, and yeah, uh, until sure. you sort of bring them to light and make sense of them. So there's kind of all of that really. And um, yeah, I, don't, I kind of, I guess, yeah, as you alluded to, out of respect for the other people involved, that's probably as much as I should say, but- um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What did you what, what did you find yourself uncovering and working on? Uh, very uh, very simply, it was um, I came up with a, an unbelievably compelling narrative uh, that my father leaving the family home at a young age had absolutely zero effect on me, um, <laughs> which is is pretty impressive. Like I, you know, if somebody had asked me, um, you know, it. it me and my father are in a good place at this point. Um, but really, I think it was, I came up with coping mechanisms uh, for him not being around. Um, and then, you know, anger was definitely a coping mechanism for me growing up. Uh, I think like my father would kind of visit us uh, on holidays um, for a short period each year. And then you'd say goodbye again. And I was always, you know, I always can remember it now being very upset at the time. And I think at some point I, at some point I turned a switch or something and I, I decided this wasn't going to bother me anymore. Um, and then the crazy thing is like, even through my twenties, uh, I was coming up with like, uh, stories, like, you know, if somebody even said anything about if I was in, I lived in different countries from the age of 26. So if I was out on a date and somebody said, oh, is your, uh, are your parents still back in Ireland? And I just say, oh, my father's in, in the UK and my mum's in Ireland. And then they go, oh, really? When did, uh, when did they split up? And then I'd say, oh, when I was uh, one years of age, he had left the house or whatever. And then at that point, um, I'd swoop in with, but my mum's an absolute Trojan. Uh, I really love my brother and sister. I know some families that aren't uh, as comfortable with their siblings as I am. Uh, I have three aunties that were single that helped us out a lot. Like we, I'd never needed for for love from them, or I never needed for for things. Um, and so there was this always this compelling kind of cover up. Um, mm. And then you know, as I said, like then instead of ever leaning into that, I think I was always a bit of a like a bit of a powder keg ready to to go off you know like 
anger came very, very easily to me growing up, even playing sports or I don't know, then like in, in relationships, uh, as I said, leaning into arrogance as opposed to, you know, being myself or showing any kind of vulnerability. Um, and yeah, just like, a, I don't know, just like a, almost creating a character or something to to not have to feel what I felt, I think. And yeah, so in, in my case then, when I went to a, a therapist, it was, uh, she, she had her work cut out for her in, in the first session. Uh, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, you, you referenced, uh, having already seen a coach, having kind of some like emotional vocabulary or experience of trying to unpack some of this stuff. But for me, uh, I think I'd read a few books on psychology before I went in there. So anytime she'd ask me how I was feeling, I, I pathologically analyzed myself <laughs> or, or gave like elaborate theories as to why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, and then I remember at one point, no, she's like, no, I said, how are you feeling? Hmm. And I'd shoot off again. Like, I think she gave me around three or four attempts to ask, to answer the question, how are you feeling? And, uh, I, I couldn't. And, and, you know, so going back to it, uh, I think at some point I'd cut myself off completely from my emotion, like a feeling of uh, pain or something. Like I, I think I knew anger, and of course, you know, like anger sits on top of of pain or some sort mm. of feeling of vulnerability. And anger obviously can be useful in of itself, but I mean, not in the way that I was. Anger was a masking kind of uh, ex- agent or experience for me. Mm. Um, so eventually, uh, yeah, this, this woman, um, was a really good therapist too. Uh, she began to teach me certain things like even, even being able to say I, instead of you, like, you know, when you think about how it's amazing until you start paying attention to this, it's amazing how much we speak in the you form than mm-hmm. the I form. Yeah. Like, so an example would be like, how are you doing today, Mark? Ah, yeah, good. You know, when you have those kind of days um, or, you know, you just say mm. you all the time. And, and mm. it, it, when you actually notice it, it's actually quite a, it's not even all that subtle. Like it, yeah. uh, when you've been away, made aware to speak from the I perspective, as opposed to the you perspective, when you're talking about your feelings, um, it's, it's really kind of, I don't know, it's a really enlightening moment where you're like, mm. holy fuck, like I've almost yeah. been creating this external entity where, you know, you don't even have to express your emotions mm. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's kind of when you say uh, this, I mean, I'm sure you see this in your coaching all the time. I see it in coaching all the time and in the, the men's groups. It, it's this kind of um, distancing the feelings that we're experiencing by saying you, it's like the, this person over here, the moment you yeah. switch to I, the energy changes. And, um, and when I realized I uh, needed to get better at doing that, the first thing I noticed was the discomfort of really owning these emotions. I feel angry. I feel upset. I feel abandoned. I feel whatever it might be. It just, there's a complete shift when you, when you really start to own it. Yeah. When you, uh, now, once again, we, we obviously went at different stages in life. Um, but for me, I was, uh, I probably viewed myself as a, as a car that was going into a a garage, uh, that there'd be a very clear and concise path to it being fixed. Um, I remember continuously kind of asking, almost like, uh, asking a coach, uh, like in a sports sense of like. Will I be starting next week? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what have I got to do, coach? Do I have to do more reps? Do I have to do more sprints? Um, I like continuously kind of checking in saying, so when are when do you think we're going to be done here? Um, not kind of realizing the, the entangled quagmire you're kind of engaging in when mm. you go beneath the surface and you start to explore and unpack your emotions. Did you have a kind of a a more educated perspective on that or was there an impatience for you as well? Uh, not when I went to therapy. Um, uh, but 
Yes, when I went to coaching, when I started coaching, I had the similar sort of okay. So when are we uh, when are we going to figure this out? What's the uh, what's the roadmap? Show me the roadmap. Which I think yeah. is also probably I haven't seen any data on this, but I suspect that's more uh, common in men than it is in women. This kind of yeah, I need to see this clear deadline, this target, this goal. Uh, I need to see progress. Um, so no, by the time I came to therapy, I was a bit more kind of. Uh, let's see where this goes. It will, it will take as long as it needs to, and it will probably go in directions that uh, I can't predict. And both of those things were true. Um, so I think I, that was, I think, the virtue of coming to it later uh, and having done some of that other work. But I think um, if I'd come to it when I was in my 20s or early 30s, I think I, I would have had, yeah. I would have gone in with that, you know, when we're going to be done, show me the roadmap. And also, in a similar way to you, I would have had an elaborate set of defences, or perhaps not so elaborate, but I would have had a set of defences uh, against the work I really needed to do. Um, yeah, less sophisticated defences. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near as sophisticated as yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, very, they're very, very complex. Um, <laughs> how, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, <laughs> Is there is there anything that kind of what surprised you about the process most? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think one thing is how good it felt. Um, I was curious about whether I might feel at some point resistant or bored or that it's difficult. Um, but it, it it felt really good, it felt really, and I think again that I think that's a a reflection of when I came to it and how ready I was for it. But it it felt uh, uh, even when it was hard and difficult and brought up uh, difficult memories and emotions, it kind of felt good if that makes sense. It felt like that was right that needed to be surfaced, um, and that so that was that was um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing is how much I remembered uh, that I'd forgotten parts of my story, parts of my life that uh, I'd completely forgotten about or buried or repressed, as I said, uh, came back to me, just came flooding back. Um, so that was quite a surprise as well. Yeah, it's... Uh... That that's a bit of a trippy experience, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Something has literally been covered over, um, and you know, and of course, memories can be—they're uh, not—they're not such an exact, uh, an exact uh, experience or a reflection of of what the experience was. But mm. yeah, stuff that you know you experienced, you know, like you're left in no doubt that this wasn't some figment of your imagination. Like even if mm. all the details aren't perfect, like holy shit, how did I actually forget that incident happening? Yeah. Y you know? Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. It's, uh, yeah, memory's a funny thing. As you said, it's uh, unreliable. Um, uh, and yet at the same time, you can forget these fundamental parts of your life uh, or, or perhaps things that for me didn't feel significant at the time. And now there's this realization that, I, oh, actually that that was significant and maybe that's why I'm remembering it now. Um, there's always, there's always that curiosity of why, why am I remembering this now? Uh, and I think that's what can, for me, that was what happened in the process and can happen in therapy or coaching or any good conversation where you're exploring yourself. Yeah, stuff comes back to you. It's, um, it's this kind of, uh, like you said, it feels almost magical. It feels almost, um, yeah, like there's, there's something mysterious going on. I think the the big difference then between your experience and my experience is uh, mine was opening kind of Pandora's box, uh, you know, having no clue what was in there, and yours then was okay. I've I've done a certain amount of digging around this. I'm if I don't explore this, I'm probably always going to hold myself back because this thing is is remained untouched or unspoken or unseen. Um, but you had a good idea what was there. And then for me, it was quite a different experience because I had really 
I had really no idea what I was kind of getting into. I think the thing that surprised me um, was more so the, yeah, more so the fact that it felt good to cry. Mm. <laughs> you know, like thinking about it, like that was probably, oh shit. Like uh, I, I know it's obvious now to say there's healing in tears. Um, but yeah, I, I was really surprised at just how nice it felt to have a, an outlet to to just cry. Mm. You know what other thing really surprised me though was, um, so I was quite open with my friends uh, that I was seeing a therapist and now granted this is uh, maybe seven or eight years ago and I was living in London at the time and, you know, as as I said, living a very kind of typical, um, typical existence at the time for boozing, watching sports. So if I was around with the the lads watching some sport at the weekend, they might say, oh, well, we do this on Wednesday. And I just dropped in. Oh, no, I'm seeing a therapist. My, see, I see my therapist on a Wednesday or something like that. And they're like, what? You see a therapist? And, and it opened up all these conversations. And just the amount of my mates that had said or that just had curiosity around what the hell is that like? Um, what are you experiencing? Why does that like why did you feel like you needed to do this? Um, and then even other friends, a handful of other friends that had seen therapists like a number of years for a number of years or even a couple of years back for periods of time. And they were open up to opening up to me with it. Mm. And that was I don't know, that was really surprising to me. Mm. And they'd never told you before. Never told me at all. Mm. No. I had like a really they needed. Uh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say I had, a, I had a very similar experience. Uh, um all of my friends were really supportive, interested, curious, um, and it enabled these conversations where I was telling them why and, you know, the stuff I was working on. And there was one friend, one of my closest friends, who, when I told him, he said, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I had a therapist uh, 12 years ago. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> We've literally seen each other like twice a week for the last decade and you've, or longer than that, and you've never told me this before. Um, yeah, which was interesting to me. So, I mean, if you were to speculate, what, what's, what, what's going on there? Uh, stigma, 100%, I'd say. Mm. Um, fucking Irish males in their early 30s living in London. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's probably a... There'd probably be there'd be few um, few kind of demographics in the world that would be less likely to speak, I'd say, <laughs> about therapy. <laughs> and and you know, like I, I know I I'd add Asian pretty... men to that as well. Yeah, yeah, you will. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like a lot of demographics that are saying no. My demographic amongst males is, is the worst for this. Like maybe, maybe we can have some sort of competition. I don't know how that would go, but we can figure it out sometime. No, but the. The the idea definitely would have been stigma, um, and and I and I think I think this is the most unfortunate part is that everyone who I told, um, and I mean this for any secret that I've held, because there's stuff that I've even realized after therapy that I came that I started just talking about more freely, um, that would have been things that I would have thought I'd never tell anyone or I'll keep this with me to the grave. And I've never had an experience with another man when I've just said it and owned it. Like, I've only got respect back, mm. you know? Like, and, and usually then they share something with me as well. Um, but, you know, I've said some stuff where lads have just gone, oh, I, I think you're much more of a man for saying that. Because the weird thing is, right, like, we're, like, we're, to do something courageous is to do something that you have fear for. If you're not afraid of it, it doesn't matter how kind of manly or, or masculine it, it feels or looks like, if you know what I mean. Mm. How can the brave thing or how can the courageous thing be to pretend that your life is something other than it is? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how mm. can how can life, how can that be seen as strength? Mm. Like, I'm literally going to act, but and then I'm not going to tell anyone about it yeah. because I'm afraid to tell somebody about it. And like, trust me, I, I get why people feel like that or, or view things that way. You know, it, it's, I, I didn't feel like it was an option for me all through my twenties to even say something like I feel insecure and jealous in relationships. Mm. That, that would have been to me, you know, that would have been almost like, a I couldn't think of like more difficult punishments. Mm. Um, and now it would seem so bloody innocuous to me. Like, and I, I think that's the other thing too. 
it's almost like a I don't know once you break the cycle of not telling things and and I don't mean this in this like overly overly um exhibition style of of vulnerability I I know you've kind of coined it vulnerability porn before I just I just mean like simple simple insights into your life like mm. the stuff that I just share quite freely on a regular basis now in a, in a respectful way, like stuff that I've kind of looked at myself or processed and, and I'm not just dumping on people. Hmm. Like once you start it, it, you kind of look back on, oh my God, I, I was afraid to say that. Mm. Isn't that fucking fascinating? Yeah. Because like, right now it wouldn't seem like a big deal at all to say that. Yeah. And how, what did you, what did you notice about the impact that had on your relationships? Oh, dude, like that's, um, so I'm just going to pour some water here. You put me on the spot now, Jindy. I, I need to, <laughs> I need to wet my beak. Um, tremendously, man. Like, uh, look, the main, the main focus, as I say, was uh, was romantic relationships, right? Like that was uh, that was going to be kind of the acid test for this, uh, whether the therapy had worked or not, you know. Um, and you know, I think within a year of starting therapy, I had met my wife and we started off in a completely bullshit free zone and we've maintained that like, you know, we have, you have fights with your partner and you have ups and downs and whatever else, but like our communication has always been very, very clean, mm. you know? So we, we started off with when we met, just, we both met in India. Like, so she's from Germany. I'm from Ireland. We're both out of our environment. We're both going through experiences. We're there to, you know, once again, I wasn't trying to learn meditation to to be more enlightened or something. I was trying to regulate, figure out tools and methods to regulate my own my own emotions better, my own reactions better. So instead of um, when she asked me, "What are you doing here?" I could have gone, "Oh, well, I'm doing these vipassanas and I'm doing this, staying in this ashram, and you know, I'm just very spiritual like that or something." And I was just like, "Ah, oh, no, like." I've been a lunatic for most of my twenties. Like I've been in unhealthy relationships. A lot of it down to me. Um, and it was just a pretty frank conversation. Mm. And she told me stuff about her experiences in life. And I think we, we removed six months of the bullshitty interlude of like, I'm wonderful. Mm. Oh, no, no. Oh, you really are wonderful. Oh, so am I wonderful. God, we're so wonderful. Yeah. And then we, we, the, you know, the defenses eventually drop or mm. the cracks appear and you, you finally get to meet each other. Like, yeah. had we met in, you know, maybe it was because we were there, but also because of maybe this experience with therapy. But had we met a year before in a bar, my missus always says to me, I, I don't think I probably would have uh, seen, like, you know, maybe I would have been attracted to or something, but I, we probably wouldn't have gone out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> in this circumstance, we were we were married pretty early on in, into our relationship, you know? Yeah. 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 I've, we often joke about that, uh, me and my wife, that how would we have been if we'd met when we were like 30? And I think very similar, probably would have fancied each other, but um, there's no way we could have had a lasting relationship. And most of that would have been down to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, um, but it's also all relationships then too, right? And, and like, look, a lot of this gets a bit messy too, because you start establishing new boundaries, you start showing up in a different way. Um, for me personally, I start showing up and, and maybe, as I said, wearing vulnerability on my sleeve, throwing it around a little bit, um, messily, I think also telling people in my circle to meditate. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I did a few things that were probably pretty insufferable. Uh, it's probably testament or, uh, to the, the relationships I have that some people, uh, hung in there for a, and maybe a, a 12 to 18 month period. Mm. But now like, um, but now relationships now where I'm kind of in a, in a more stable place with even expressing that stuff over the last number of years, like, even if you use the example of our relationship, like our friendship, like, man, we, we, we hardly wasted any time with bullshit mm. in terms of like, I got to meet you the first time we, uh, we went for a coffee and, and for context for people listening, I, I've known Jindy for around 11 months now at this stage. But there was just, you know, how are you doing? What stage are you at in life? Where are you at with your career? Just, just shooting from the hip, mm. like, and, and just the amount of trust you can build with people when yeah. you do that. Like, you could know someone for ten years, and you could have one of these relationships where 
you know, sometimes when people are shocked that their friend has been depressed or is about to have burnout. And Mm. look, I know some people can be very secretive, but I do kind of wonder, like, what conversations are you having uh, Mm. that you can be truly shocked that a friend and now once again, some people can be amazing actors. But I still think if you're probing a little bit, there there would have to be clues, Mm. like even just just when you're paying attention, when you're around them and this kind of thing as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Paying attention is, is, I mean, that, that, that term itself, <clears throat> excuse me, speaks, speaks volumes. There's a lot behind that, I think. And there's a lot, there's a lot around vulnerability, I think, in what you said, um, that uh, I think there is something what's very common. I think when you've had therapy, certainly when I had therapy and what you're describing is you become slightly insufferable for a while. Cause you know, yeah, yeah. You start sort of opening up and telling people, but, but, but there is something about that. For me, it was about, I want people to know, I now want people to know the real me or more of the real me because I'm comfortable sharing it. And as you said, there is, there is this vulnerability porn thing. It's, it feels there's a bit of a fad at the moment towards pushing people towards vulnerability. And that I think is a little bit dangerous. I, I, I think for me, vulnerability, it, being vulnerable depends on whether the person being vulnerable has adequately processed what they're being vulnerable about and whether they're sharing it in a place or with people that is adequately safe to hold it, contain it as well. Uh, so vulnerability for its own sake is actually, I think, potentially dangerous and, and counterproductive. Um, but there is... It, it, in the right use like uh, embraced in the right way it does um create much stronger relationships in the off like our friendship like you described because there was uh very little guardedness and we were being very open about ourselves in a quite processed way i could tell you know this is a guy i can be quite open with and tell him you know um tell him all these aspects of myself about and vice versa and and that creates this really strong trust from 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 the off um but there is a level of judgment required in you know am i ready to share this and is this person ready to hear it um yeah and i i think uh for periods of time particularly when traveling around the world uh when you're not in your home uh town or something like that or even just living in different cities when people haven't known you all your life um i was like at times like a little bit of a spray gun um when i was kind of getting used to this and, and, you know, as well, like in, in India, when I took that first sabbatical after I'd seen a therapist for around nine months or a year, there was lots of people that were just traveling at that point where it om- like, there's almost a fakeness to it too. Like if, if all these people that I've only known even over a cup of coffee and it was different in my, my, my conversation with my missus, it wasn't this wild spraying of things. It was just a few top level laying out of the 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 facts of why I was there really but in other circumstances if a whole bunch of new people know you better uh, or know more intimate things about you than your brothers your sisters your long-term friends there's something really kind of top heavy about that or or it doesn't feel so genuine Mm. Um, and, and I think that's probably a good acid test as well of like how comfortable you are with this like would you tell a friend that maybe isn't of this you know, kind of very open, certain perspective or certain view on life. Um, like, would you be willing to to share there? Like, it, mm. does it feel safe to share? You, mm. you know, I so I, I kind of agree with what you're you're uh, referring to there. Yeah, and I think I think there's something really important in that. And, and to come back to your question earlier about what was hardest about therapy, it was it was perhaps what happened afterwards and what is kind of still happening as you know I kind of work through things and delve into things. It's it's kind of going back to some old friendships, old relationships, my oldest friends, and needing to almost get them to reappraise me and aspects of my life that I hadn't been, I wouldn't say untruthful about, but uh, but I created a story around that I now need to sort of say actually this is this, this is the real story as I understand it now from this more aware place, and that's prob- that was probably that is probably more uncomfortable than therapy itself for some reason because i think <laughs> it's kind of going back to these really old friendships and going mm, yeah actually there's all this stuff i haven't told you or 
actually the way I've been describing this part of my life and these people in my life isn't actually the case. There's now this um, more truthful story. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, you know, it's, uh, some of the reasons why we wear various masks, maybe as a protective mechanism, it's always a deeply vulnerable process to to bear your soul or yourself, even uh, even with someone you've known a long time. Like, I think there's a few things in life where we we over-index or overweight the importance of time. Like, and and you know, we kind of view the quality of relationship. Oh, how long are you guys friends? Oh, twenty years. Oh, wow. So you just assume that that means you guys are the best of friends. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're the person that knows you the most, mm. you know, or that knows the most about you or understands you the most. So I do think that this is, we should probably have a lot more of a focus on what's the quality of the information that we're exchanging. What's the depth of the information that we're exchanging. Mm. And those would be as well as time, because of course time is still a, a key part of a lot of these relationships, mm. but you know, just looking at our relationships more that way, like mm. what do I how what can i say i understand the part about someone other than the surface level stuff that most people know about them I, mm. I think that would be a pretty good indicator and of course look everyone has their own preference for relationships they're meant the the amount they're willing to share there's no kind of set metrics for this but i don't know those are other elements that i think that we don't pay as much attention to when mm. kind of judging a friendship yeah i think there's something about are my relationships growing with me or are they um stuck in some kind of charade almost or are they even holding me back and something i was talking about recently in uh, in some training was also this thing that kind of emerged for me was uh, this resistance i have to i have a difficult relationship with groups because right? groups are kind of essential you know we need groups to feel connected and we need to be part of some groups but i also don't like being too much in a group because groups require consensus they require you to kind of fit in and let go of your own ideas. And I, and I, what I've noticed in some groups of friends is the safety of staying in them means that individuals don't grow. And so th through partly through fluke, my friendships that there are groups, but they're kind of disparate and spread and we're all in different countries. And so we don't have this tight group that are all doing the same things and keeping each other in some sort of consensus. And that, I think, is really important for me. I think I, I now have a real um, cautiousness about kind of succumbing to, to a group um, unless I feel it's kind of flexible and dynamic enough to allow me to, to keep growing and, and being the person that I'm becoming. Um, yeah. So there is something in that as well. What would you say is the, and just this will be maybe the second to, second last question I might ask you, but what would you say is the the best thing that or the most influential thing that therapy um how it affected your life uh, thereafter um well i don't think i'd be my with my wife if i hadn't been in therapy uh i feel i could say with some certainty actually i don't think we'd uh, so we we met um just over 18 months ago um and we knew straight away that this was this was something special but i don't think i could have shown up in this relationship if i hadn't had therapy um because i was able to start in that way that you described of uh knowing some of my shit and some of my darkness and being able to uh share it without fear and she's the same, fortunately. And that, that was the foundation of our relationship. People who were willing to be open about, okay, this is, this is not just the nice, shiny part of me. This is also the other part of me. And this is the stuff that I'm working on. This is the stuff that I know about. Um, so, yeah, that without question has been the biggest, the biggest um, benefit of therapy for me. I'd uh, I'd probably say something similar myself, like in that it's um, I'd say the part that I found most uh, helpful is almost uh, seeing how I'm simultaneously flawed and wonderful, you know, and then being more accepting of other people's flaws and understanding of it. Um, 
And I just think that really helps. Uh, and if you know your shit and you see how complicated a creature I am, like if I see how I have still, a, you know, a proclivity to do X, Y, or Z, even though I'm aware of all these processes, how can I judge someone else uh, to this almost standard of perfection or this standard of logic, uh, which we kind of like to to, to hold other people to? Mm. Um, which is fucking inconvenient as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> terrible, man. It's, it's awful. <laughs> so much more satisfying when you can just point your finger at everyone and say exactly. that they're, they're horrible and that I'm wonderful. Like that, yeah, that, that's, that, the evil that's, that's the bad people over there. Yeah, yeah there, there it is. Um, Jindy, just because we're coming up to the end of time here, um, because the podcast is called What is a Good Life? Um, and although this this episode was different in that I just thought it would be interesting for two men to talk about their experiences with therapy, um, because I think that's helpful for anyone to hear if they're contemplating therapy or if they, I don't know, if they just needed to, I don't know, even the idea of making this less of a, a stigma or something. Um that that contributes to a good life. But to, to ask you, um, what is a good life for you, Jindy? Mm. I feel like my answer on this could change every time you ask me, but I think we are, given the conversation we've just had, the answer that really comes to mind is, um, I think, making sense of myself and uh coming to some peace with that that for me marks a good life yeah i think it's a peace in the internal world that generally shows up in in our external experience of life as well and jindy as ever an absolute joy to speak to you sir uh very very much appreciate you joining me here on what is a good life today and uh, yeah, look forward to speaking again soon. Mark, thanks. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Really had a great time. Uh, a privilege to be on here amongst all your other prestigious guests. So uh, thank, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for asking me. <laughs>